So, so what about a topic like how we got into what we're doing now? Yeah, yeah, just kind of a topic about us, the history, like, the know. history of us. Like, how did you get here? Yeah, we could do that. Well, so my parents actually, that's a good banged. Point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My parents didn't. They found me. Yeah. Weirdest thing is you get well. pregnant through your nipples. I know. Right. Because that's there, what my dad was, did. It, to my mom. it was one of those random blood storms, yeah. and there was a well, random and they blood were just storm. screaming. That's what I call it you once a month for a listen. Did you that way? Yeah. <laughs> I assume that had something to do with the uh, Kentucky shutdown. Yeah. <laughs> I also called the Kentucky shutdown. Yeah. <laughs> you said something oh, that God. triggered, like, oh, uh, Oh, you said people get, he takes them out fishing. And I thought about my uncle Pete, who used to work for Coors. And he knew like uh, Keith Villa. Yeah. Right? I've told that story before. And like he got me, he was one of the people that got me into where I am today. And like he's the reason I went to Oregon State, actually. So I don't know. It was, it just triggered my mind. Cause my uncle Pete, he's been like golfing with Buzz Aldrin. That's amazing. Yeah. Where they talked about chemtrails. Yeah. <laughs> no, he said what, his, what a pinnacle moment for him was John Elway pat him on the back and said, nice shot, Pete. <laughs> yeah. On a golf course. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And I hate golf. So like, I don't know anything about golf. But I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. And I don't even like John Elway cool. that much. Right, but that's still pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty badass. Yeah. Well, the whole reason I thought of the whole fishing thing when it comes to like PR is there's a whole industry of like PR managers and account managers. That that's what they do is they take their biggest clients fishing in like Montana or Alaska. And the reason I thought of that too is because Dry Fly, the you know one big yeah. distillery mm-hmm. we have here in Spokane, that's their backstory. So Don Poffenroth and Ken Fleischman. They met on one of those PR style fishing expeditions. I think Don was the PR guy at the time. That's why it's dry fly. I get it. Yeah, it's literally uh, that's yeah, exactly. So you didn't pull both, the fly fishing connection to that? I never I never thought about it. I guess. <laughs> sure. It's Colton. I mean They're still really, talking, not known for their intelligence. Yeah. Does Colton yeah. know fish are real? Like yeah. if they're not <laughs> Wait, they come in nugget form, so <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm more familiar with the Swedish variety, yeah. the tiny red trigger ones. <laughs> so yeah, that that's how they met. Is and after, like they went to this. You know, Don's company kept taking Ken's company on these fishing expeditions, like once a year, is kind of a PR thing. They both bonded over the fact that they hated their jobs, they hated being in big corporate worlds. So that's where you know the the you know the elevator pitch story of their meeting is they met, they hated their job, they cashed in their 401ks and started distillery. And that was in 2008. So I've, I actually, you know, for a, you know, Silicon Valley gr- starting a business in your garage type story for the distilling world, I always liked that one. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah. fly fishing is kind of cool, too. I mean, it's I'm not awesome a huge fisherman. I love it, yeah. fishing. I'm a terrible fisherman. I own zero equipment. But if anyone ever was like, hey, Zeno, you want to go fishing? I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and fly yeah. fishing, the f- couple times that I've tried it, like, it, there's the, I don't know, the feel for it. And like once you, you, like when you drop that line and right where you want and you get it or you have the fly that works perfectly or you, you try and like, and you talk to people that are real in it and they're like, well, the wind and the barometric pressure and they get super into it. And I'm like, yeah, I can, I, I love passion about any hobby, right? So. Right. Like, I could totally get into it, but I suck at it. 
I was such an absolute disappointment to my family when it came to fishing. My dad and like all of you know the male side of the family. I think that was final thoughts. Like I was a total disappointment to my family. Final <laughs> thoughts. Right. That's, that's what we need. Final yeah. thoughts. I was a disappointment to my family. End. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And I own it. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, it, I was th- always that fat, chubby kid, like in the back of the canoe. Like we would have like sandwiches. The parents would have beers, and there'd be like a bag of like bread or Cheetos for like the ducks to keep the kids busy. And we'd all, ha- you know, we'd be like not even fly fishing. We'd just be throwing it out with a bobber. And you know, my dad and uncle would turn around and see me covered in Cheeto dust. You know, ten year old fat. It's weird because you weren't even eating the Cheetos. You were just grinding them up and blowing dust on your face. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was, you know, never caught a fish, but goddamn, I ate a lot of Cheetos. (laughs) I I envision you making Cheetos sandwiches. (laughs) Dude, Cheetos and sandwiches are so good. Dude, don't. Ever admit that? <laughs> yeah. Roast beef sandwich. You throw in some Cheetos or chips. You crunch it down. Got hey, I'm from magical. Pittsburgh. We put French fries in there. I had someone tell me that they just went to Pittsburgh recently. Hey, listener, I'm from Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> if you hadn't noticed, yeah. there's this place called Pittsburgh. They um, and he's like, you guys put French fries on everything. He's like, he's like your sandwiches, your salads, and it's truth. Like if you get a salad in Pittsburgh, there's French fries and cheese on it a lot of times. <laughs> So I don't know if I told this story to listener, but when we went to Pittsburgh for ACSA this year, Zeno took me out to a, uh, what was it, a German tavern? Oh, yeah, that's right. We went to uh, Max's Allegheny Tavern. And that was my very first meal in Pittsburgh, and it was the most magical, ridiculous, (laughs) heart-stopping cholesterol bomb I've ever put in my body. That's the last meal I had in Pittsburgh, like before I went to Oregon. Like that was like that's where you went. That's what was my going yeah. away party was at Max's Allegheny. Tavern. Explain it. Explain that fucking sandwich we got. Oh, so it was a potato pancake Reuben. Oh my god. Yeah, it's so good. So it's, it's literally a Reuben two, sandwich. Yeah, between yeah, two, two potato potato pancakes. German potato pancakes yeah. with the Reuben in between, and they're full dense, beautiful potato pancakes. This podcast is now about potato pancakes. It's become <laughs> yeah. a culinary podcast. Oh, I am very I on like, board. <laughs> I feel like this is like a, a two-part podcast. It's like a B-side. <laughs> yeah. Right? right. Yeah, I agree. And like, this is the bonus. <laughs> yeah, it's ooh, a bonus for who? I don't know. Just <laughs> us, maybe. Yeah. I assume just us to yeah. listen to over and over. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're at 1,700 times. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, that wasn't even the sluttiest thing that we ate. We had what was the, thing the Bavarian style pretzels that they make in house, and then they flash right. fry and stuff with cheese. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, don't they also give you cheese? To and they give you cheese, to <laughs> well, yeah. obviously, or mustard. Their mustard is amazing too that they make. In there. It was so good. Yeah, it's a great yeah. place. Yeah, we went there with uh, licorice. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Which that wait was that was your first beautiful... meal? You'd been in Pittsburgh for two days. No, I don't feel. No, like, he was wasn't. It? No, he. You no, maybe you just got in. I just okay. got there that okay. day. Yeah. Don't tell me my business, Colton. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> no, it was no. Gr- it was great. It was great, and I'm like, yeah. And Drew was with us. My buddy Drew is the most sad, he was sad awesome. person ever. But no, the whole, the best <laughs> part him. of that entire meal was seeing the love affair between you and Rob like develop like over the course <laughs> of an hour meal. Like them look deeply into each other's eyes and like talk about fermentation yields and like still designs. Like I at one point, I'm pretty sure Zeno's hand like bumped his hand and they did like they said those weren't hands, Brian. Should we share this French fry? <laughs> <laughs> if we don't get the Licorice Brothers on this podcast within like the next month, I'm going to be really. Excited. Oh, I want to go see their distillery. I owe him a uh, an email. Anyways, he was going to come up in August. 
was going to come to Kentucky, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to show you around the distillery, which yeah. I'm not opening this up to our listener, but like, <laughs> I love showing people around the distillery. It's so much fun. Like, if you're interested, I'm like, all right, cool. Do you want to talk about heat exchange yeah. in this one pipe? Yeah. <laughs> it is a 24-hour tour. <laughs> it's a terrible tour. I took Alyssa's parents on oh, it, and I'm God. like, oh, my God. Oh, like, her dad let him touch it. the top of the still? Yeah. Yeah, I took him to the top. Yeah. Still, yeah. That's not my new thing. Now I go to the top. I go all the way to the converter at the top of the entire plant. Yeah. And it's like, nice. and there's one of the old timers used to do Tai Chi up there. <laughs> he was awesome. Oh, that, yeah. That's so beautiful, hippie. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so oh, much. Oh, he was a total hippie. He was great. He's wait, wait, Okay, so Zeno, we heard your story. Colton, what got you into this business? Oh, man. I mean, I, I started, I guess, at 14. I realized I, I really didn't like... Well, Keystone Light was what all the the kids drank. Wait, so let's, let's start that. Like at fourteen, <laughs> I was drinking heavily enough. <laughs> yeah, that I realized I didn't like Keystone uh, I was Light. Like, I can't, I can't yeah. be drinking this Keystone. all the time. Uh, so we we started. Uh, my dad and I started just home brewing. It's in the kitchen. The first beer we made was so fucking god awful. It was a you know, it was just an extract brew where you you soak the uh, or steep the the. Uh, grains specialty malts specialty malts in there and we ground it up to the finest powder we could for this like this dark ass porter so we had a bunch of black patent three or four pounds in a five gallon so it was it was real rough uh and and it was one of those where you you make half of the beer and then you fill it with you fill the uh, fermenter top it up with water so you you basically doubled your volume, but cut down your alcohol level, uh, and then we just you know from there I just kind of didn't stop. Just started buying every piece of equipment I could. I was I was working at a hard cidery in the sort of I was their field hand, and the owner came up to me and was like, "Is that not something I can say?" <laughs> oh no, you I don't can know. say it. You, you, <laughs> you can say it. You can is say that it. not a appropriate thing to no, say? No, I don't it know. Is. It's good. <laughs> Uh, the owner came up to me. He's like, "Hey, one of my old friends is trying to used to homebrew, is selling all of his homebrew equipment. You should go look at it." I show up to the guy's house. It turns out he stopped homebrewing because he moved on to homemade fireworks and built an entire <laughs> barn around it. So it's obviously, the York, that is the progression. It's the New York people. <laughs> yeah. So like, obviously, the he clearly does everything as large as he can, right? So his homebrew setup was just so badass. And all I was looking for was a, a malt mill. And the one I ended up buying from him was like this, this one-of-a-kind, just super unique, awesome malt mill. And I came back home and was like, Dad, check this out. Like, I've been looking at mills all over the place. I wouldn't get this for under $300 anywhere else. He just sold it to me for $30. My dad just looked at me and said, you go back and buy every piece of equipment that man has. So I just ended up at like, 15 years old with all of this awesome homebrew equipment and just kind of, you know, skyrocketed from there, found out that you could go to school for brewing. I was like, oh, shit, that's super awesome. Uh, started looking into it. There's, at the time, there was UC Davis, Oregon State, and Cornell. Siebel. Um, Siebel had a program. Well, but four-year degree, you know, yeah, college, right? Degree. I was looking for... You go to Belgium. I could have. I should have, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um 
God, I wish he would have. Then he w- we would have avoided. Yeah, all this you guys time. wouldn't even know me. Yeah, it's D, cool. We wouldn't you know. have been friends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, well, Zeno and I would have met. That, yeah. That's like a soul yeah. thing. Yeah. Like we would have eventually fallen into each other's yeah. arms. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm friends with both of you, and you guys look exactly the same. Yeah. So. so you have a type. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. I really do. Yeah. Uh, Actually, it's Jewish. I have a lot of Jewish yeah. friends. <laughs> Yeah, you yeah, guys I, were talking about potato pancakes earlier. My mouth was watering. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so from there, I kind of, well, first, going to Oregon State, I, I realized that brewing was so goddamn big out there. When I first went, I was like, yeah, I'm going to learn to brew, then I'm going to come back and open my own brewery and you know, be, the, be the next Sam Adams, because you know, that's what I was drinking at, at the time. Of course. And I moved out there, I was like, oh, everyone's had this idea before. This isn't going to fly not going to make any money. Uh, so then I started looking at, I just started drinking whiskey. I was like, oh, I really like whiskey. Maybe I should learn to make that. Found out I could do a internship at Corsair. It was only supposed to be a like a 10-week internship, which I had weaseled my way into six months, and then a job offer at the end. So, well done. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm still there, so... That's awesome. Like, I, I always am envious of Colton. I'm like, oh, yeah, because, I mean, I don't even know how old you are, but I'm 35. So yeah, you I'm figure, like 76. Yeah, but... right. You're 76 going on, like, <laughs> Your 20. Your liver is 76. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, how old are you? I don't know, like, 26, 27? 27. 27, yeah. 27. So it's like, at his age, that's when I was, so, like, my dad's best friend's a winemaker. I had nothing to do with beer or whiskey, really. And I'd gotten a distillation. We made beer because you got to drink a lot of beer to make wine and sure so we started making (laughs) beer and it's like uh but like the distillation thing came because we made shitty wine so when i i got into that i probably made my first beer i wasn't i was probably 18 19 maybe even 20 and then my dad passed away when i was 24 so like my dad's best friend and i became really close well wait so here's the question how was your first beer terrible yeah, but I did make a good one. We made a good beer. We made a, a we shaved black licorice root on a stout, which it's like you're making a stout, right? Like everyone makes a stout first, a dark beer first, right? And like we did that. So like we we were making a bunch of dark beer. So we did make a licorice stout. Um, I don't know. He's the one who really got me into it, though. My uncle was the catalyst of getting me the contacts when I said. I remember he, we were at my grandma's house. It was around Thanksgiving, and he brought a bunch of beers because he worked for Miller Coors and Killian's Irish Red. Somehow we got into a conversation about Killian's Irish Red, and I guessed the beer just by like smelling. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's like, you know, it's, it's malt. <laughs> yeah, it's different. It's like a different malt. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yeah, I wish I could just get paid to like do what I love, which is drinking. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what got me in on that road. But like the guy was like my dad, you know, that took a long time for that to come to fruition. And right. Yeah. You had a whole other career. Yeah. Right. And here's Colton. He's like, oh, yeah, I thought he brewed beer when I was 14. <laughs> some guy says, sold me some badass equipment. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. But it, it, I think that, it, it was very natural progression, right? Like, I I can't even imagine doing anything else either. 
Yeah, I was I was so excited the the day I realized my entire resume was all industry jobs. You know, wineries, breweries, hard cider. I I don't have any non which probably is not a great, you know, yeah. I'm not well-rounded, I guess. But well-rounded in the booze industry. But. I had someone I had someone says like, "Oh, well, uh like you're not really used to working for a big corporation." And I was like, Actually, I just don't put on my resume, but I worked for Apple Computers for like five years. Yeah, heard of them? <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm like, uh, right, but like, yeah, the, I, I agree with you. Like, I love that I don't put that on there. Yeah, right, because it's not applicable. Like, there's not. I don't want to do that. It, it's great when Oregon State, like, how you get in the distilling field as opposed to beer or wine. Sure, it has to do with saturation, right? Like everyone's me. Right. And when I went out there too, I'm like, yeah, I would do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to yeah. do my own thing. And I'm like, doing your own thing changes, right? <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. If you want to go out and be your own brewer, and there's a lot of home brewers that get little brew pubs or crap brewers, and that's great. Which is a great business model. It's, like, you know, if you're in the right, if you get the right location, you're in the right town or whatever, and it's all great. you want to do is, you know, becoming the next big production brewery is going to be super hard no and i love that right. you said like boston beer and like yeah my best friend present company excluded like my best friend in the world she works for boston beer like she's amazing and she's probably the best brewer and alcohol scientist she's just a good person i don't know i'm, I'm biased to her but like she works for boston beer <coughs> and that's not her end game either you know, like yeah. it's it's like you kind of do. You're like, oh yeah, I want to do my own thing. You're like ah, your own thing, and maybe it is her end game. Maybe that right, like it 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 changes. Yeah. But I, I feel like it's worth pursuing. I don't know. It it it's it's kind of crazy how you, I kind of feel like I fell backwards into this, and I never would have thought when I left Pittsburgh and went to Oregon, I never would have thought. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna live in Kentucky and work for Jim Beam. <laughs> yeah. Never in a million years, right? Right, and I've got to like I, the exposure that I get with, you know, ACSA and ADI, and then I get the exposure with the company I work for with Scotland and Japan. It's it's like my pipe dream, right? Yeah, talking about no, this it. Talking about I was just going to say this industry is great because it's such a microcosm. I mean, we are our own, you know, economy, our own like subculture, and everyone is just so almost ridiculously friendly and open and willing to share and be friendly that you can go anywhere. You can walk into almost any facility and they just embrace you like a brother. Oh, it's, it's amazing. We're all family and it's just strange. That's, that's what I said. I was like, when I, when distillers come to like, I'm like, Oh yeah, let me show you around Jim Beam. <laughs> I can't tell you. I go any place I go, I find the distilleries and I tour them. Like my honeymoon, my honeymoon, I went on four, I went to four distilleries. Like my honeymoon, right? And yeah. and every one of them I say the same thing. I'm like, hey man, if you're in Kentucky, yeah. <laughs> I will show you around and not like the Mickey Mouse tour. If you want to drink out of a barrel, we can drink out of a barrel. But like I'll show you I will the top of the still. Right. And it's like and like I love that and no one ever takes me up on it and I hate it. Oh, <laughs> well, I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> so me in this industry, my I basically went 30 years without knowing anything about distilling. 
So I grew up in a small town next to the Canadian border, and most of my alcohol experience came from sneaking into Canada between the ages of 16 and 19. Because you could drink at 19 in Canada, but we always went up like 15, 16. You know, we'd go clubbing up in Penticton because that's what stupid small town kids do. I believe and it's pronounced clubbing. <laughs> right, right. So, so the most knowledge I had was like the, the difference in alcohol percentage for kokanee from in the states compared to BC, which is like one or two percent higher, which is basically moonshine at the time. <laughs> yeah, that was my education. It was pathetic. You know, I was the college kid that would like save my Bud Light bottle caps in my back pocket to see how many I drank because I was one of those assholes. Oh, what what so was it much. normally like? Yeah. Like three or four? Or... <laughs> my, my my peak, and this is not something I'm proud of. I threw down 24 caps at the end of one night, and I realized that that was unacceptable. Even yeah. I realized. So that did was you just drink them while you peed? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I sat on the toilet with the door open, just talking to the party. Brian well, yeah, I mean, to pee, listener. Full disclosure. Yeah. So I went to school. Uh, to become, uh, I wanted to do, make Pixar movies or video games. I went for 3D modeling. I got a computer science degree. And yeah, I know. I have a computer science degree from a college that doesn't exist anymore. So it's not really even pertinent. Um, mom, I love to tell my mom that I'm valedictorian of a school that basically got sued <laughs> out of existence. I was pretty proud of that moment. Uh, but, you know, I was going, you know, it was this school and I loved it. And I loved creating art and all this, you know, stupid, you know, stupid 20 year old stuff but i realized everyone in the program was a complete introvert and i'm way too extroverted and i needed something where i could talk to people so instead i ended up in the funeral industry yeah <laughs> which we talked about in the last podcast that i don't that we think didn't we release actually publish. Yeah. yeah we're not going to release yeah. but essentially i was in the funeral industry for 11 years working at a video production company that made memorial videos for funeral homes so we'd get photos in we'd turn them into memorial videos send them back to the funeral homes and so i did this like in my entire 20s i started at 20 and I did it till 30. So I had a decade there. And within the first like six months, I was running the operation because it was like three people there. By the end, I think we had like 40 people. You know, it was a multi-million dollar company. It was amazing. Like it was a cool Spokane company, but it was also just so mind-numbingly boring. You know, we did the same thing every day. It was, you know, we do a thousand videos a month and we crank them out like a production line. And my job was just to make sure they got done and that we got the money in. And so after doing that for 10 years, I looked at buying the company. The owners were going to sell it to me. But then essentially the asking price was so high that uh, we're sitting there. My wife and I, Amanda, were looking at the numbers. And one of our friends finally said, if you had a million dollars, would you buy that company? I mean, would you take your million dollars from the bank and buy the company? And immediately we said, fuck no. So <laughs> why would we get, yeah, why would we get a million dollar bank loan to buy a company that we wouldn't buy with our own money? So that was really, real quick, we realized that that That's was pretty profound. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it was it was some of the best advice I ever got. And so but then I was I, I just turned 30. I was 30 years old. I had a degree that pretty much felt useless. I was in a job that had no more ceiling. And I, I hit the ceiling. Uh, I wasn't going to buy it. I, I pretty much felt I had no employability. I had no idea what I was going to do at the time. I had two kids, you know, a wife. I had no idea what was going on. 80, but, 80 to come. Yeah. <laughs> 87 <Right>. kids more. <laughs> right. Eight, of on the, the way. Two yeah. of 87. Yeah. Amanda has like 17 litters. <laughs> yeah. So that, I mean, honestly, like my 30s, like my 30th birthday sucked. I had no idea what was going on in my life. And then me and a buddy were just kind of BSing and he was kind of an entrepreneur 
like to start businesses, did some web programming and stuff. Long story short, we were going to start a distillery because we were just that stupid and we happened to know the guys at Dry Fly. <laughs> Within a week of research, we realized we had no idea what we we're doing. It was never going to work. So we kind of got into the education side and we had like, it was this beautiful entrepreneurial series of stupid ideas that just didn't work until finally we landed on this one of like, let's do a trade publication because at the time there was only one other trade publication. It was ADI's magazine. It was once a year. It was yeah. nice, but it was very much, a tr you know, it was their association magazine. So there was this huge gap in education and knowledge. So we're like, well, fuck, let's try it. You know, my wife, Amanda, she had a degree in photography and design. Uh, my best friend, Ashley, at the time was doing uh, sales and insurance. <clears throat> so we're like, okay, let's build a team and let's do it. And let's just make calls. So we literally picked a day and I gave Ashley a list of uh, potential names for advertisers. And we had her, we, she basically kicked us out of the room. We sat on this like rooftop, like side area of this tiny little office we shared. And she made like four calls to random vendors to say, Hey, we want to start a magazine. Do you have any ideas for us? Would you like to share some information? What would you like to see in it? And they all had ideas. And at the very end, they all said, can we advertise? So within like four calls and an hour, she had made enough money to actually print our first issue, which we were able to make like not much. We made like a thousand dollars on the first issue, but we didn't go in the hole. And then after that, we, you know, it took us a couple of years, but we ended up growing every year and we had enough that now it's our full time job. God, that is fascinating. I would have That's, never expected. Yeah, that. like you like you yeah. got into this five years ago. Yeah, this has been like part of so, me my whole life. Yeah. I feel, and like yeah, well, you're yeah, way well, more. And Brian is the most successful yeah. out of all of us. <laughs> yeah. Hands down. Well, yeah. Honestly, I, I do feel like it was a lot of dumb luck and just our willingness to call people and talk to them, and you know. One of my, it was interesting. One of my first it's mentors. Ashley. It's Ashley and Amanda. It, it's Ashley really and Amanda that. did everything. Yeah. So Ashley made the first mock-up of a cover. Ashley just cold called people. And all I did was like randomly called distillers and asked them really dumb questions. In my first letter from the editor, I flat out said, we have no idea what the hell we're doing. And I was very honest. And it was 36 pages and we're very proud of it. But I'd love I to just, see your first issue. I don't think I, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll I'd love to, to hear you. your first interview. <laughs> That would yeah. be amazing. Oh, my first interview was probably... Tell me you have it on recording. My, my very first interview, I think, was uh, Jack uh, Jack Joyce at... Um, oh, at Rogue? <laughs> at Rogue. So it was yeah. the owner of Rogue, and he was my very first interview, which I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about him, but I loved him because he was so blunt and honest with me. And he, he we talked for like two hours the very first time I called him. And he had, I, we had no magazine. It didn't exist. I was interviewing him for a magazine that didn't exist. And he was telling me what he wanted to see in a publication. And he kind of just was this ridiculous, blunt mentor that we ended up sending ideas to. And he became our very first sponsor, even though Rogue doesn't do advertising. But he just wanted to give us money to make sure we succeeded. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and so now that's still my job. I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but I ask a lot of dumb questions, yeah. and the industry's really nice about answering them. But I Brian, know, I, I, I expect you to do my funeral video, though, just so you know. <laughs> Next I've year. I've actually already done it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be real I'm soon. Everyone I'm to, yeah. I have one done. <laughs> he sleeps at my house a lot. It's going to be real soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I like it. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> yeah. We do. Uh, you didn't have to breathe so hard, doing. <laughs> oh no, I did. Yeah. It's the sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, so those are our stories. I, you know what, I love that like, no. the rogue is connected to because we're talking about this, and you like, I always talk about a gateway. Like, there's a gateway beer. Yeah. There's that craft beer. Like, to mine me, was mine was Keystone Light. So. <laughs> right. 
Sierra Nevada Pale Ale is like sure. is, is near and dear to my heart and will forever be near and dear to my heart. Yeah. And it's a great beer. Oban. Oban single malt scotch. Like from the town of Oban. It's that is the spirit that made me decide that I like beer is good, wine is great. Yeah. Scotch transcends anything that I can possibly understand. Yeah. So and like and that's with that spirit, I'm like, oh my god, it's like the the best apple I've ever been into. Like it's it was the most amazing thing I've ever had. Like it's and like now I drink Oban, and I'm like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Like, yeah. It's funny because I don't feel I ever I, I feel kind of jealous to a certain degree. I never had that existential like spirit experience where I got to taste something and it like won me over and brought me in. Apple like, brandy. People. Get out of well, here. Well, besides we apple know. brandy, which yeah, we, we got <laughs> no, the apple no, brandy. No, the people the would creams. do that too. So like, I mean. Well, that's exactly. good to hear when you had that conversation with Rogue because Rogue Dead Guy is a huge gateway beer. Like, there's a handful of gateway sure. beers. It's like yeah. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, Anchor Steam. Sam Adams. I mean, Sam Adams. Obviously, Sam Adams, Boston Lager, Rogue Dead Guy. For for the listener who obviously lives on the uh, East Coast, and, you know, Northeast, Why it's is that Dundee Honey Brown. Yeah, J.W. Dundee's <laughs> Honey Brown Lager. Yeah. There you go. Uh, as a teenager, we used to get a party ball of that. If anyone knows what a party ball is, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds. It's like, like a key yeah. tank. Yeah, it's like a plastic ball with yeah. like a bladder in it. It's it everything that's system. wrong with yeah. packaging. Yeah. Everything. That's, yeah. yeah, which will be. Yeah, we're gonna do that next. No, you should definitely do all the packaging. Like yeah, yeah, but no, no, okay. it's great. Like the gateway beers and like what brings us to like you say the people and it's. That, it's it's the people for me too. It's also, it's I hate to say it's the culture because like it's like drinking and people open up and great, but like there's angry drunks and there's sure. rapey drunks. But it's our it's our happy like drunks, right? Like it's our sort dude, of industry me, though, love of you know yes of production and what it is the passion and, yeah. Well, it's that too, but it's like it's the it's also the ceremonial part of it, like me sharing a beer. So I love ice hockey. I don't know that I've said it on the podcast, but I love ice hockey almost as much as I love alcohol. And I started playing here in Louisville, Kentucky. Not an orthodox place to play <laughs> ice hockey, right? And on, after the practice, people go out and get beers, and there is, like, a connection there. It's that's communal. great. Like, and there's, like, that's what you love of it. Like, that's what yeah. I love of it. Well, it's funny because, you know, I talked about in college, you know, pounding 24 Bud Lights in a night. You know, that's, I drink maybe once a week now. Like, I drink <laughs> yeah. so much less But it's still industry. 24 Bud Lights. Yeah, it's still once 24 Bud Lights once a <laughs> yeah. week because you got to balance out. Because yeah. if he I shot ever guns stop, my all. liver will die. <laughs> he shotguns them all. Yeah. 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 There's still glass bottles, bomb. but he shotguns yeah. them. All right, guys. I think that's pretty good. Let's wrap it up. Any final thoughts? My final thought is simply, I'm glad whatever ridiculous way we got in this industry i'm glad we ended up here because i really like you two dumbass yeah (laughs) my final thought is like you guys are the same and clearly i think you're okay (laughs) that's literally the sweetest thing i've ever heard you say (laughs) yes uh my my final thought is that i'm really excited to have brian not be on a computer screen and actually record with him in the room (laughs) yeah i really want to make that happen my final thought is like let's make that happen yeah (laughs) Yeah. i know listener you know, I know it, it sounds like we're all in the room, but no. it's only because there's so much love put through 
this tiny little webcam. So. Yeah. It eats up a lot of bandwidth. And that is it the last sounds, dick joke of the night. It just sounds like I'm teabagging the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, listener. We love you. I don't even know what we talked about there. Yeah, so for 11 years, I ran a video production studio where we made memorial videos for funeral homes. So our clients were the funeral homes, and they would send in photos of the deceased. Not them being dead, but, you know, when they were actually alive. Um, <laughs> basically, it was one of those, like, graduation videos, but with oh, a lot more photos. Like a... Okay, there, there's a story Jacking there. I'll, I'll, I'll like, get back to that. You just videotaped dead bodies. <laughs> no, no, there was. You're like, look at it. Look at it. It's not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, essentially, they would send us photos from like at babies all the way up to however long they lived, and then we would make a photo montage with with audio, lovely sappy music, and then we would render it out, send it to the funeral home. They would burn it to a disc or put it on a thumb drive, play it at the funeral, and give it to the family. So essentially, for eleven years, I made people cry. That's lovely. Yeah, yeah, and the funeral industry is. The only industry That's I know awesome. of that drinks more than the alcohol production industry. <laughs> I guess you'd yeah. have to deal so, yeah. with that many dead people. <laughs> oh, yeah. So one of my favorite anecdotes is I. there were actually funeral. It was the National Funeral Directors Association. They had conventions like any other industry. You know, thousands and thousands of people would go to these conventions. And the casket companies would throw these parties for distillers as kind of a marketing tool. And you'd go in, they'd be called like casket parties. And they would line the caskets right. with ice fill right. them full you of you said you said for <laughs> distillers did you mean distillers oh, sorry, sorry. die all no, the time no, I'm i know i was say, wait what sorry sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> why have i heard about this before no, no, sorry funeral directors my bad <laughs> so <shit>. funeral, <laughs> they throw these parties for funeral directors and they would line the caskets with plastic fill it with ice and stick booze that's where i got myself confused they would fill these caskets full of booze for the funeral directors and you'd go in and you'd just get hammered and you'd have all these funeral directors giving just these terrible stories and anecdotes and telling the darkest humor you've ever heard. It that was sounds fantastic. like the best time ever. Oh, I want to go to so one of those amazing. so bad. You walk into a convention with thousands of people and there's gurneys for bodies. There's <laughs> embalming fluid. There's a stand for like um, the carbon press where they'll take the ashes and press it into like a fake diamond so you can wear it around your neck. Oh, yeah, I'm insisting on that with my body and my oh, remains. Okay. Everybody's going to wear a diamond. <laughs> Absolutely. My parts. So, yeah, that was that was diamonds. my life prior <laughs> yeah, to this industry. Yeah, a butt plug diamond. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> I guarantee you those exist. Um, okay, yeah, I thought that that was a pretty good one. I yeah. was very, I was actually very curious if you were doing, like, promotional stuff for the actual funeral home or if it was. No, so our, our clients were the actual funeral home where they would contract out to us and we would charge them per video. And essentially, we had a 12-hour turnaround because especially on the East Coast and kind of in the South, they did funerals. The turnaround time for a funeral was a lot quicker. So if someone died, there could be a funeral in 24 hours. So we well, would yeah, have, that body is yeah. not going to stay fresh for very long. Exactly. <laughs> so we would get photos in. I used to – so when I was in college, this was like my first real job – 
and I had essentially a pager where it would let me know when a video was ready. So someone would die in the South, I'd get paged and I'd have to like leave a, a college party to go do a video for a dead person. So it finally got to the point where I had such a hard time explaining to people at the party what the hell I did. I just told them I sold drugs. It was just nice. so much easier. <laughs> oh my God. I can't yeah. believe you left that job. I know. Right? <laughs> For this, to talk to us idiots. <laughs> it was a solid business. That's crazy.